Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Good morning, Lifehouse family. How y'all doing? So um, I have the privilege of bringing to you the last installment of the series, Take This Job and Slove It. Uh, Week one was PJ just giving us a, a good summary of how we should view work. Uh, week two was again PJ, and he really talked about work and work gone wild and how we should view work, whether work was a God, work was a gift, or work was a gaffe. And then last week, Pastor Tiffany brought us the word and how we can redeem work, and she used the story of Esther to do that. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling very rested. Who feels rested right now? I only, saw, I only see about 35, 40% of the hands up, but, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is such an amazing time. I was able to get away with my bride uh, before Thanksgiving, and we took a vacation, which was much needed. Um, but the thing is, with Thanksgiving, there's, there's so much time to rest and be able to reconnect and to be present with family. And the one thing I really love about Thanksgiving is, is the food, the family, and if you know me, you know I love love food. So I ate plenty of food and it was all good. So about 35, 40% of you raised your hand and say you were, said you were very rested uh, after Thanksgiving. Uh, but if it wasn't Thanksgiving, where would you be? Because we really do have an epidemic in today's society of busyness and unrest. All you have to do is look at the statistics and they all pointed out <laughs> Some of these just blew me away. One is 57% of American workers feel stressed daily. Not once a week, daily. More American workers feel stressed on a daily basis than don't. That's amazing to me. Another statistic that really jumps out is that, you know, remote working, and I know some folks here were working in an office, now they're remote working, and there's so many conveniences that come with remote working. But there's also a cost. The average remote worker spends two and a half more hours per day working than someone that's working in an office because things get muddied. There's, there's not the black and white of I'm in the office, I'm out of the office, but everything's gray. And it's also great because of technology. And I deliberately didn't bring my Apple iPhone up here today because I didn't want to be disrupted. And uh, over uh, the vacation in Cancun and Thanksgiving, the one thing I haven't been wearing is, is, is my iWatch. And it has been so liberating because I'm not doing this all the time. But technology does this to you. It keeps you tethered. It keeps you connected yeah to those things that stress you out. And let's be honest. We all work even when we're not at work these days. So uh, technology is another thing that uh, keeps us in that place of busyness and unrest. And then the last one is this, and this one may surprise you. All the fun stuff. 
all the activities, the hobbies, the games, those things fill up our weekend so much that that even brings about stress. So <clears throat> before we really get it, uh, started in this sermon, could you bring up the uh, prayer? Yes. So let's just pray before we uh, talk about rest uh, and, and the Sabbath, because that's what the next part of the series is going to be. It's going to be on Sabbath and rest. And that's really the second part of the work-rest rhythm. And we focus most of the uh, messages so far on the work. And I'm telling you, the rest is so important. Uh, so let's pray together. And follow me as I go. Spirit of God, open up my ears to hear my eyes to see, my mind to understand, and my heart to discern what you want to speak to me today. You have my full attention. Amen. So <clears throat> preparing for this sermon was very difficult for me. Very, very difficult. If you know me, I can, I can have a hard time turning off. If you know my wife, she even has a harder time turning off. We struggle at resting. We struggle at taking a Sabbath. We are so bad about it. The only time we really rest is when we completely get away. And when I say completely, usually getting out of the country. And that's a problem. Vacations are nice, but vacations don't substitute for what a Sabbath does. It's easy for me being a pastor on a church staff or my wife being an executive at a big company or as a business owner that has the pressure of sustaining and growing a business, or a stay-at-home mom that has babies crying, husbands needing things, and they're trying to manage a household to say, I don't have enough time for rest. What I'd like for you to do today is I'd like to reframe what Sabbath is, and I'd like to reframe what rest is. Did you put the picture of Magdalene up there? So this is my first granddaughter. I have three sons, Jacob, Benjamin, and Cody, who are all great, and I love them, and I love my grandsons even, well, no, I'm not going to say more, but they're easier. Uh, <laughs> I got a granddad talking over there, and I've got four grandsons as well. So this is the first granddaughter I've had, I, I, we've had, and um, her name is Magdalene. This picture was taken when she was about two weeks old. She's a month old now, and what you see here is the perfect example of rest and Sabbath. Look at her. She's at complete peace. She's laying on my lap, and, and she's trusting, because you have to trust to be able to sleep like that, and she'll stay there for two or three hours, and I absolutely love it. Because I know with my boys, and I was talking to some other folks about this, with my boys, when they were young, that age, it was like I'd hold them for five minutes and I'd be like, someone else take them. <laughs> but maybe it's me because I'm older now, or maybe it's because she's my first granddaughter, but I just don't want to let her go. Because she's, and, and yesterday, I was holding her, and she just brings me so much peace and joy just because of what she has. And, and that's the perfect peace, the example of peace and rest, and trust. And I think about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And I imagine them being just like that, being connected to the Father, not having any stresses, not worried about anything. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that you have 
that kind of rest, that kind of peace today in your life. As I stated earlier with the statistics, I don't think most of us are there. I'd be, I'd be very interested to see if anybody over the age of uh, 18 feels that way. Because nothing in our culture supports us being this way. God has the answer to the rest, the peace that you need in your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if I had to title this sermon, I would call it the Sabbath Breakthrough. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, what is the Sabbath? Let's establish that. Uh, The Sabbath means to stop, cease, or to keep. Its theological root is in God's rest followed by, uh, following the six days of creation in Genesis 2. So God gave us the Sabbath. He modeled the Sabbath before he ever commanded the Sabbath. The Jews typically in Seventh-day Adventists typically will take a more literal view of the Sabbath and they will celebrate it on Saturday, which is the last day of the week. Christians, on the other hand, typically celebrate a Lord's Day, which is on the first day of the week, Sunday. I will say I don't think it matters whether you serve a Sabbath on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. It doesn't matter. And I would say we could look at Romans 14, 5, and 6 for the proof of that. And it says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Now that we've defined what the Sabbath is, now we're going to get to the meat of the sermon. And we're going to talk about four ways that the Sabbath relates to each of us. The first way is this. The Sabbath points us to the needs of of rhythms of work and rest. Like I said earlier, God set the model for us at the very beginning. Genesis 2, 2, and 3 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And let me just say one thing. This is the only thing in the creation account that God called holy. The only thing. He didn't call the stars holy. He didn't call the moon holy. He didn't call the land holy, the seas holy, the fish, the birds, the land animals, us. He didn't call any of them holy, but he called the Sabbath holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. You see, God didn't need to rest. One of the attributes of the Father is he is omnipotent, all-powerful, God can do anything and not have to take a day off. So why did he? He did it to model it to us. Because we are made for six days of work and one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. It doesn't mean, am I saying that you need to work overtime on Saturday? No. Work looks very different. But the thing is, we are made for that rhythm of six and one. Okay. Uh, the, other, the other thing is this. God has written this rhythm of work and rest not just into our DNA, but into the DNA of creation. 
It is written into the DNA of creation that we should work for six, rest for one. And when we violate that, there are severe consequences that we'll talk about later. You see, overwork violates the rhythm of work and rest. And it could lead to all sorts of issues. Things like hypertension, uh, hypertension, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, depression. Anybody depressed? Anxiety. I know there's some people that are anxious. All these things are definitely related to overwork and worry. See, a lot of times we can think to ourselves that we have so much work to do that I don't have time to rest. I know, and I know there's some shipyard workers here, so I'm going to tell a little quick story about the shipyard. And that is, when I was in the shipyard, I started as an electrician, worked my way up pretty quick to be a construction supervisor. And most of my time was on new construction aircraft carriers. So building these 1,080-foot ships that were nuclear-powered to launch aircraft on and recover aircraft. Uh, So we would, it it was typically about a seven-year build cycle. And in that last year, things got crazy because it was like a mad dash for the finish line. And it became working day after day, usually 10 to 14-hour days, with no rest. And everyone did it. It was expected. When I was an hourly employee, it was great because you know what that meant? (laughs) I was going to get paid. (laughs) Yes. And it was usually 50 to 75% more than what my base salary was. When I got into management, it wasn't the same. (laughs) Now I'm looking at things from a different perspective. It's like, okay, how am I going to get this work done? And, And your payment's a little different. Because your payment becomes not what you get on your paycheck, but who's looking and how important you think you are and how important they think you are. But the one thing that I noticed is when we started working those seven days a week, week after week after week, guess what happened to productivity? It plummeted. It dropped. There was no need to do it because you lost everything in the efficiency because the efficiency went way down and it didn't make any sense. So I say that to say, there may be seasons in your life, well, better yet, let's go back for one second. Um, If you don't mind, put up Exodus 34 and 21. And it reads, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. And this is so important because you got to remember, this was done in an agricultural society. Their livelihood was completely based, not just, you know, are they going to be able to buy a car? Or are they going to be able to get a bigger house? Or are they going to be able to send their kid to a certain school? But their livelihood was completely dependent upon the harvest. And here, you see what this word says. It says, even during the plowing and harvest, you must rest. So even during the most busy, most critical times, You must rest. What's God telling us? What's God telling us with this word? I don't think it's just a a, a word for, okay, you're more efficient if you get a day's rest. No, this is a word that says, you're not God. You are not God. Take a step back and allow God to be God. 
So I get it. There are going to be times, and there's maybe some folks in the room that have to work a lot of overtime. And there are times when, you know, your employer requests you to work mandatory overtime. Or, and I've been here, where your expenses far outpace your income. And you've got to do something to try to get that aligned. But I just really encourage each one of you that is overworking and not taking a Sabbath to really examine yourself. Examine your motives. Why are you working so much? See, the Sabbath is a breakthrough to optimal performance, health, and peace. The second point I'd like to bring to you is that the Sabbath was and is the great equalizer. If we read, well, before we read the verse, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. I think everyone's aware of the the Ten Commandments. Uh, The first four commandments were pertaining to God. The last six commandments were pertaining to men. This has been affectionately called the bridge commandment. Why is it called the bridge commandment? Because it is the one commandment that tells us to love God and to love our neighbor at the same time. So how does it do that? If we read Exodus 28 through 11, it says, "For uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter. And this is where it gets good. Nor your male or female servant. Your male or female servant were not to work. You have to remember something. In this time, servants, slaves, were often viewed as what? Property. And God is giving them value with this statement. Nor your, uh, nor your son, daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's really easy for us in our modern culture to overlook the significance of these verses. To lump in foreigners and slaves into the same rest day is, is it's revolutionary. It is truly revolutionary. See, the Sabbath is a resistance and a reformer to our never-quenched get-more culture, which made people into widget makers. And that's what we can do. We can make people into widget makers. We can look at people as a means to an end of product and profit. A culture where silly wants are transformed into manufactured needs with us constantly wanting more, more, newer and newer. The Sabbath is not only a resistance to the greed machine of our flesh, it reminds us, it reminds us of who God is and reminds us who our neighbors are regardless of their ethnicity, title, social class, or party affiliation. You see... All of us at some level, we're status seekers. We are. And this this was a hard truth for me to 
to realize we kind of look at ourselves, we look at our title, we look at maybe the size of our house, the type of car we have, how many friends we may have, how many folks are following us on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. And we associate our value, identity, and worth with those things. That's what our flesh wants to do. But I just want to tell you this morning, unless your worth and identity are rooted in Jesus Christ, crucified, and your adoption as a son or daughter of God, your efforts are in vain. Everything else will pass away. There is a quote, and I can't remember who said it. Uh, The quote went this way. The luggage is for the journey. The journey is not for the luggage. And a lot of times we get it twisted. We make the journey about the luggage, those things, those creative things. What can I buy? What can I get? Let me get more. Let me get more. Let me get more. But that's not the way it is meant to be. See, the Sabbath is a breakthrough to view not only God as we should, but it gives us the right perspective of our neighbors. Third point is this. The Sabbath was just as serious and real as all the other commandments with severe consequences. Some of the guys from the men's group are in here. And, uh, <laughs> and we did a, uh, a study on law and grace. And I believe Sabbath actually came up in that study. You know, is that one of the things that we have to ab- abide by as part of the Ten Commandments? Because let's be honest, most of us view the Sabbath day as what? Do we view it as a commandment? Do we? How many of you guys truly observe Sabbath? Try to, yes. So we really look at the Ten Commandments as nine, rec- nine commandments and one recommendation. That's how we look at it. We look at it as a lesser thing. And let's, let's take it another step in. We wear our busyness as a badge of honor. People love to say, yeah, I'm busy. Because you know what it does? It makes them feel like they have worth. I'm so important, my calendar is completely booked up. It doesn't matter that they have no margin, but people wear it as a badge of honor. Could you imagine taking any of the other commandments? Yeah, I just cheated on four women last year. You would not do that with any other commandment. So why do we minimize this commandment so much? So, um, excuse me. If we uh, look at the scripture, not as something that is a rule book that tells us what we should and should not do only, but look at it more from the perspective of what is beneficial for us, I think we can really view the Sabbath in the right light. It is what is beneficial for us. And how do we, how do we get there, though? And I think the way we get there is through Jesus Christ. So you see, Jesus is not just our Savior, but Jesus is also our standard. Let me say that again. Jesus is not just our Savior. We love Jesus as our Savior. I think we all love it. But when you get to know who he is and we see what he did, 
Jesus is our standard. And we are all to run the good race of trying to model and be like Jesus. And Jesus is our standard. Guess what he did? He observed the Sabbath. His disciples observed the Sabbath. The apostles observed the Sabbath. Even though the Pharisees in Mark 2 wanted to tell Jesus that, hey, you broke the Sabbath. But guess what? He didn't break the Sabbath. There was no law that said he could not heal the man with the paralyzed hand. There was no law that said he could not pluck grains, which was, a pro, uh, which was something called gleaning from the outer edge of the field. Both of those things were allowable by the Bible. But what happens is there was not a clear definition of work in the Bible for those people that like to see things as black and, see things as black and white. Rule keepers. You guys know some rule keepers? If you didn't say yes, you probably are the rule keeper. I live with a couple of rule keepers, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's black and white. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And they want those rules, and they want those laws so locked tight that there's no, there's no, there's no thinking involved anymore. So, so Jesus didn't violate those laws. What he did violate was this. The Pharisees wanted to define what work was. So what did they do? They made 39 different categories of activities, and they had over 1,000 activities under those 39 that were called work, and that's what Jesus violated. He never violated the biblical law. You see, the Pharisees, as we often do today, they missed the mark. They looked at the outside and they didn't go inside to look at what the intention was behind the action. Jesus made it clear that they were missing the mark by being law keepers instead of grace receivers. And as I spoke earlier, law keepers are those people that want the law to be nice and regimented, clear. And if you're a law keeper, what do you do? What do you do to other people? You push your view onto them. And you want them to keep the law just like you keep the law. If you're a grace receiver, what do you do? You've received grace, so what do you give it out? Grace. And there's a big difference between the two. See, the Sabbath is a grace that has been extended to us. And I would also add a grace and a discipline that has been extended to us by God because he knows what is best for us. It isn't a series of laws that serve as a burden for us. Let me just chat just a little bit about the word grace. And uh, one, it, people use grace as an acronym to say God's riches, uh, God's riches at Christ. Thank you, John. God's riches at Christ's expense. And I'd like to say grace can be, in this application, God's rest at Christ's expense. Because did you know that we do nothing to earn Sabbath rest? But you may say, Carrie, you got to work six days to get the rest. Well, let's just look at the creation account. When were people created? What day? Sixth day, yes. And when was Sabbath? The seventh day. 
they didn't even, they weren't even here for a full day before they got Sabbath rest. So it's one of those things, you don't earn it. You just have to live it. You don't earn Sabbath rest. You live in Sabbath rest. And Jesus also replied to the Pharisees, and he said this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So hopefully some of you guys and ladies will think about taking a Sabbath, but you may ask yourself, how do I take a Sabbath? So let's have some tips for taking Sabbath. The first thing is, obviously, don't work. And some of you guys are going to say, I actually love my work and it makes me feel good. You know what? That whatever you're doing for your nine to five, you need to be doing something else on your Sabbath day. A lot of people like to refer to, as, to it as opposite day. So if you're doing a lot of manual labor for your nine to five, you know what? Your Sabbath probably needs to be some chilling out, reading, praying, refreshing your body. If you're sitting behind a desk 50, 60 hours a week, your Sabbath day may look completely different and may be going for a long walk. So an opposite day is a good way to look at the don't work piece there. Another piece, and John talked about this earlier uh, in the transition, attend a church service. It's too important not to. Community is vital to the Christian experience and Christian growth. Incorporate spiritually enriching activities. That could be things like devotionals with your family, going into a time of prayer and worship on your own. Consider, and this is a huge one. <laughs> when I look at the demographic of our church and I look at myself, this is a huge one. Consider unplugging from electronics. So, the devil, if he can't destroy you, will distract you, okay? And the other thing that he'll do is he'll keep you busy. And another acronym, busy, being under Satan's yoke. And, and you know what? A lot of us are under that yoke all day long. And I don't have my phone, thank God. But, <laughs> but we'll get on there, and, and it's for the stupidest stuff. Let's be honest. And we're doing this. Facebooking, Instagram, TikTok. And before you know it, a couple of hours have passed. Distractions are not what the Sabbath are about. So consider unplugging from electronics. Uh, lastly, prepare for your Sabbath. What do I mean by that? If you got chores to do, do them the day before. Okay? If you don't like to cook, and that's work to you because there's some people I know where cooking is not work at all. And I'm glad that cooking is not work to some people. And the people, I'm, look, <laughs> I'm looking at a couple of people right now that I know can cook. So I'm glad that cooking is not work for them. But if cooking is work to you, prepare your meals the day before. It's really simple. So I just invite everyone, challenge everyone to do a Sabbath. And as I said earlier, talking to folks, and I'm talking about devout folks, people that are in the faith, people that are serving in ministry, I haven't come across anyone that really can say, I do a 24-hour Sabbath. 
I mean, really? When someone's doing it for four, five, six hours on a Sunday, they're the A performers right now. So I would just invite you guys to have grace with yourself, to understand where you are, and just take that next step. Because it may be for you, a Sabbath is this. Waking up in the morning, coming to church, and spending a couple of intentional hours with your family. Intentional hours. And rest, play, devotionals, those type of things. Because to jump into a 24-hour Sabbath, for most of us, would be akin to someone that only prays for a minute or two and asking them to go pray for an hour. You guys can imagine how that would look. After a couple minutes, they'd be going, I don't know what to do. So start where you are and have grace with yourself. What matters is, more, more than the 24 hours, what matters is the posture of your heart and you wanting to give back to God what's already his. Because he's, you know, he's got the cattle on a thousand hills and he's got every minute of your day as well. Okay? Um, so what keeps us from giving our time back to God? That brings us to this last point, and that is the Sabbath is a heart check. It's a heart check, and it develops trust and faith in God. So what's a heart check? A heart check is anything that shows our inner fears and motivations. That's what a heart check is. So I grew up with three brothers, and uh, one of the things that we would do when we'd go out to eat is everyone would order something different. And why did we do that? So we could eat off of each other's plates. So that habit didn't really go away. And if you've ever been out to eat with me, um, <laughs> I will usually wait to order till the very end because I'm going to order what no one else ordered so I can try theirs as well. So, uh, and, and, you know, I play around every once in a while. And, and with COVID and cultural differences and all that, this is more of a joke than anything else. But I would play around sometimes. And when someone doesn't want to share, I'd say, this is a heart check, bro. This is a heart check. So, but, but, and I say that there's lots of other factors there, but that's just a silly example of what a heart check can be. See, the Israelites, when they were wandering around the desert, they were given a heart check. God had miraculously saved them from bondage in Egypt in a miraculous fashion. And they're wandering in the desert and they're griping because they have nothing to drink and nothing to eat. And again, God shows up. And what does he do? He brings down manna from heaven. And they were only given one rule, and that was this, Exodus 16, 23. Uh, this, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. And this is a commandment that preceded the Decalogue or Ten Commandments. So that's how important the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is in the creation account, and the Sabbath is a command even before the Ten Commandments. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. And that's what they were commanded to do. Take what they needed for the day and no more. Take what they needed for the day and no more. But what did they do? They did just like us. We are the Israelites. 
There were some of them that would hoard. And they would, instead of just getting the court required for each person, they'd get a couple of courts on a day other than the day before Sabbath. And what would happen to it? It would rotten, it would get rotten, and there'd be maggots and it'd get moldy. How many of us are doing the same thing today? How many of us are doing the same thing today? See, the Sabbath was there to show the Israelites that God was their provider. It's also, this principle is also in the New Testament. If we look at uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, I believe it's uh, 6, Matthew 6.11 reads, Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. It doesn't say anything about tomorrow. It doesn't say nothing about next year. But give us exactly what we need for this day. So the instructions are very clear. But why are we so worried about yesterday and tomorrow? We worry about having enough in the future and we also condemn ourselves for what we've done or didn't do in the past. I'm speaking about worry because I think we have even a bigger issue than overworking. And I think, we have an, I think right now we have a worry issue in our culture. We're the most anxious people that this nation, this world may have ever seen. Anxiety is running rampant. Depression is running rampant. And I think a lot of you can relate to that. Worry and overworking are really one and the same because they both are actively not trusting in who God is. They also create the same response in the body, which is the release of the stress hormone cortisol, which causes all those issues that we talked about early. Lastly, what occupies your time is what's going to occupy your focus. I believe PJ probably preached this before, where your attention flows, your power goes. So when you're always worrying, it's sapping all of your power. See, are you in a place right now where you feel discouraged, helpless, like you're just not enough? We have a God that sees you. We have a God that just, he not only saved us, but he can relate to us. So if you feel comfortable, I'd just like to ask you to close your eyes just for one second. Look upon the cross. Imagine Jesus, God coming down in human form on that cross, bloodied, Nails through his wrist, nails through his ankle. Lacerations everywhere from the whip, a crown of thorns on his head. He sees you. He just doesn't see you as a savior, but he can relate to you because Jesus came in human form, not just to save us, but to relate to us. You can open your eyes now. Can you trust him? Can you trust Jesus to be who he says he is? Earlier, we talked about the manna that God provided from heaven. 
but the manna that we have today, that thing that sustains us today, the daily bread that we have today is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Are you ready to eat from a bread that will not leave you hungry? Are you ready to drink from a water that will not leave you thirsty? You see, church, as we chase after things, they will always leave us empty and wanting more. John 6, 32 through 35 reads, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, Jesus is available to us right now if we will just trust in him and believe that he is who he says he is. I'd like to close and just say one thing, and that is the Sabbath is a great principle, but the Old Testament is a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what we have in the new covenant. And the Sabbath is not just the principle but it's also the person. The Sabbath is the person of Jesus Christ. That is the only way, where, place where we can find Sabbath rest is in Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it reads, and this is from the message version. I love how this reads. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. There's many of us that need that real rest. We're trying to do too many things in our own power over and over again. And things may seem like they're going great, but you recognize that you're something in your life that's missing. Walk with me and work. Watch how heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit LifehouseNN.com.